One of the great all-time mission statements ever written. The curse of the Iceman. We should broadcast an episode from Pride Rock one day. Ah, ah. I have a confession to make. Resulting in 7.5 million deaths. All right, I'm going to try one last time because we have a commitment to our listeners. <laughs> no, no, we can't. Hello to our fans out there in podcast land. It's smart drivel time, everyone. Kurt Schneider here with... John Ellenthal, and hello to you, Kurt. How are you? John, I am Jim Dandy, which we've talked about in the past. We argued about G-I-M or J-I-M. If you consider that an argument, usually in an argument, both people have a plausible point of view, but you held your own despite your lack of substance on your side of the argument, so you were game. Kurt, you like history, right? John, I love history, love everything about it. Let me tell you about a couple of things that happened today in history. Now, today, the day we're recording, not today, the day this podcast is released, but so be it. Today in history, in 1969, Sesame Street debuted. Can you tell me how to get how to get to Sesame Street? And I think we've mentioned Sesame Street before because I think it has one of the great all-time mission statements ever written. And I think it's something, this is not verbatim, but this is the gist of it. It is to take the addictive powers of television and do something good with them. Really? Isn't that fabulous? Yeah, because Sesame Street is addictive and television now is more addictive than ever because we're in the golden age of television right now. And you sit there with all these different channels that are streaming and I could watch five hours a night. There's so much great stuff on. I'm going to tell you one more thing that happened today in history. Please. Can you think of a Gordon Lightfoot song that you and I have regularly made fun of? The Wreck of the Edna St. Mary Fitzgerald that went down. The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Well, it happened in 1975. So I decided to read the story of it since you and I have made fun of the song. Unfortunately, a lot of people died. Mm -hmm. And it, it was the next year that Gordon Lightfoot memorialized the sinking in a song. But when you read the story, you're like, okay, I'm not going to make fun of that anymore because... To be clear, I'm not making fun of the wreck. I'm making fun of the song, which is horrendous. And what's he doing, doing a song about that? Stick to Carefree Highway, baby, or Early Morning Rain. Don't give me any of this wreck, bring me down stuff. Well, unfortunately, 29 crew members lost their lives, all the crew. In the early morning rain, with a dollar in my hand, no place to go. Is that Gordon Lightfoot? Yeah. Do you know what country Gordon Lightfoot is from? Canada, of course. Correct. Yes. Can you name other famous actors or singers from Canada, Kurt? Joni Mitchell. How about William Shatner? Michael J. Fox. There's tons and tons. We over-indexed to Canadian actors and musicians. I'm sure if we weighed them, they would be many tons of them. I agree. And wrestlers as well. When I worked at WWE, most of the wrestlers, Canadian. I wonder why that is. Something above the 49th parallel just kicks in and you want to be either a comedian, a wrestler, or a musician. I don't get it. I don't get it. I love Sarah McLaughlin, and she too is Canadian. I believe... 
Anne Murray is Canadian. <laughs> yes, she is. Okay, so Kurt, we did not get together to extol the virtues, the musical artistic talents of our neighbors to the north. John, I'm going to put a curse on you. You know why? I just felt like it. I just felt like it. May both sides of your pillow be warm. Sorry, both sides are warm for the rest of your life, baby. So, Kurt, there's probably a well-placed reason you chose to put a curse on me. Yes, because today's episode is about famous curses. And jinxes, too. Sure, absolutely. Excellent. Well, that's a fun topic, Kurt. Why do you say jinx, you owe me a soda, if you say the same word as someone at the same time? I don't know, but we started a podcast to get to the bottom of those kinds of life's mysteries. So we should come back to our listeners and try to figure out why jinx, you owe me a Coke, not only became a thing, but became a well-known thing when we were kids. Yeah. So we're going to talk about famous jinxes and curses. Would you like to kick us off, Kurt? Sure. I'm going to start with something that happened. It started in 1922, but ooh, it goes back centuries, thousands of years. In 1922, the most amazing finding happened in the deserts of Egypt, and that is they found King Tut's tomb. Now, this thing about King Tut is he wasn't a great pharaoh. He wasn't even a pharaoh for that long. But unlike Ramses II and some of these other powerful pharaohs, King Tut's tomb was basically found intact in entirety. And Where is tact? Is that in northern Egypt or southern Egypt tact? <laughs> Funny. And by the way, what's up is down there because the Nile flows backwards. So going upriver is actually going south. So going upland is south. It's different. Anyway. Confuse me, aren't you? So 1922, they come and they find it and they take one of these feather brushes and they get the dust off of the tomb. And it says, quote, death shall come on swift wings to him who disturbs the peace of the king. Ooh, ooh, so it's not so good they discovered that, huh? Did it stop them? What became of them, Kurt? Did bad things befall them? They decided to open it anyway. And one of the two people that found it, his name was Lord Carnarvon, died four months later of a mosquito bite. And after that, about three days later, his dog died. Not only that, but one of the key financiers of the expedition, George J. Gould I, he died six months after visiting the tomb. So the curse is definitely alive. Do you believe in the curse, King Tut's curse? I believe in all curses. I think they're cool because I believe in witches. May I give you which witch do you like the most? Sabrina. She was a great witch. A more cynical view of the curse of King Tut is that it kept people away from the tomb while American and European explorers, or I guess archaeologists, pretty much robbed the tomb blind and took treasures from Egypt back to their native lands. You can be cynical and say that, yes. So it may be a bit of a cover story, this curse to discourage others from doing what marauders were doing. John, may you always step in a wet spot after putting on fresh socks. That's a curse. Yeah, I'm cursing you like crazy today. Why are you cursing me? (laughs) Because I feel like it. All right, well, I'm going to jinx you then. What are those dolls you have where you put the pins in them? 
What are those yeah. called? Voodoo dolls? Yeah. I'm going to get myself a voodoo doll. Ow. In fact, I put one in your knee recently on my voodoo doll. Kurt, how is your knee feeling? Horrendous. Please take them out. Okay. Well, let's stop trying to curse me. All right. So go. All right. Well, since you came at me with this serious historical curse first, I will reciprocate with an old curse of my own. Ooh, tell me. So as you know, because you are a bit of a amateur presidential historian, there are some weird patterns that emerged in presidential deaths. So if you go back to 1840, when William Henry Harrison was elected and run all the way up until 1960, when JFK was elected, every 20 years, the country elected a president and then that president would die in office. You want to run through them with me, Kurt? Sure, so, I know them off the top of my head, John. Well, I'll get you started. 1840 is Will, William Henry Harrison, who was elected and died in office in 1860. Abraham Lincoln. Old, good old honest Abe. Who was elected and died in office in 1880, Kurt? Chester A. Arthur? James Garfield. Oh, yeah, he was terrible. To the cat. Yes. Who was elected? McKinley. Yeah, that's right. William McKinley was elected in 1900 and died in office. Then we get to Harding. 1920, the birth of the Teapot Dome scandal was President Warren G. Harding. And then, of course, 1940, not to mention 32, 36 and 44 was FDR. And then in 1960, JFK was elected and also died in the office. So people were wondering why this fate was befalling the duly elected American presidents. Must have been a curse, John. There was a curse, Kurt. In the 1930s, Ripley's, believe it or not, claimed the pattern was due to a curse that Chief Tecumseh placed on William Henry Harrison, as well as future presidents, after Harrison's troops defeated Tecumseh at the Battle of Tippecanoe in 1811. Harrison ran for president for 1840 on the slogan. I predict he'll win and die in office. Tippy Canoe and Tyler, too. Tyler was he ran with Lee Tyler or was it Stephen Tyler? (laughs) Neither. Mary Tyler Moore. James Tyler, who became president after he died. Tippy Canoe and Tippy Canoe and Tyler, too. And the guy thought he was William Henry Harrison thought he was so impervious to anything because he was this big general and this and that. And he gave a probably four hour inauguration speech without a top coat, without an overcoat in the cold, contracted pneumonia and died just a few days later. Yeah, I don't want to say he deserved that because that's a ridiculous thing to say. But if you're going to talk for four hours outside, no less, actually, four hours inside is an abuse. So clearly he was lacking in empathy and self-awareness. You know, they say someone and a coat. They say someone broke that curse. You know who that was? No. Ronald Reagan. He On account was, of the fact that he did not die in office. Well, he was shot. And that's why right, he broke but he did not curse. die. Correct. That's how he broke it, because he was shot. It wasn't like he just didn't die. He actually was shot at. So he was going to, but didn't. In fact, not only was Reagan shot at the Hilton in Washington, D.C., but I was part of a company that started right across the street from the Hilton, which is now a across the street is a WeWork location. All right. So I'm going to tell you a curse that's going to be a little more interesting. It's called the 27. Excuse, Club me, excuse me. That's going to be a little bit more interesting than what? The one that I gave you? <laughs> 
I gave you a curse that like spans that. a century of American presidents. No, that's a little more interesting than the WeWork office you had across from the Hilton. Have you ever had an office across the street from a presidential assassination attempt, Kurt? Probably. Probably. Yeah. What kind of answer is probably? Because it didn't merit talking about it. I'm now asking you about it. Ah, so this is something that we've talked about. So I'm going to cover it quickly because we've actually talked about it on multiple episodes. The 27 Club. Oh, that's curse. a good one. So this curse is very simple. If you are a musician and you're famous, you die at 27. So this is Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, etc. I believe there's probably 27 that have died. And maybe if there are, it'll stop. I don't know. Yeah, that is a weird thing, that whole 27 club. That is a club you do not want to join. Well, and I turn 27 next year, so I'm kind of worried about it. No, it's actually not emotional age. I think they all died, Kurt, at their <laughs> chronological age. So you're safe. <laughs> I got a long way till I'm emotionally 27, John. Well, I just think you're safe of the curse of 27 because they all died 27 years after their actual birth. All right. Give me a very weird, cool curse that I can like keep me up at night tonight thinking about. Okay. Uh, this one will hit close to home, Kurt. This is the curse of Meadowlark Lemon. <laughs> no. This the, basically Meadowlark Lemon. Oh, you're serious? Yes. The curse of Meadowlark Lemon, who of Tell course. Tell our was, audience who Meadowlark Lemon it was. Or he it was, was probably the most famous all time Harlem Globetrotters player. Agree or disagree? Well, he and Curly Neal. Curly yes. Neal. Yes, he and Curly Neal. Well, they were playing the Washington Generals. One of the Washington general players snuck up behind the, the Harlem Globetrotters bench and tied Meadowlark sneakers together. Meadowlark comes off the bench, falls on his face, breaks his nose. He puts a curse on the generals who never win a game against the Harlem Globetrotters. You're joking. I like that. That's cute. You made that up because they actually beat the Harlem Globetrotters March 5th, 1971 in Tennessee. According to the internet, the Generals have actually beaten the Globetrotters six times in history. Yeah. That's got to be a mistake, though, right? They're not supposed to win. So in 1971 in Martin, Tennessee, the story was that Meadowark and the guys lost track of the score having fun. And Red Klotz, the owner and star player for the Generals, sunk a three-pointer as time expired to beat them. And then people were so upset that his famous quote was, I feel like I've just killed Santa Claus. Oh, wow. Well, have they won since? Not that I knew of. Not ah, that three-pointer was a curse. And that's how you get the curse of Meadowlark Lemon. Oh, boy. Okay. For our listeners who don't know, <laughs> Kurt spent 10 years as the CEO of the Harlem Globetrotters. And yes, I clearly made up that curse, but... I wanted Kurt to feel important by making up a curse that directly related to part of his life. All right. I have a real curse for you now, Kurt, as opposed to my made up Meadowlark lemon curse. May your Twinkies expire. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> That's actually not true. They do expire. We uncovered that in a previous yes. episode. Again, that is the kind of thing we cover on this podcast. So there are some great sports curses. Ooh. Yes. I'm going to give us a segue into some of the great sports curses. How are you spelling segue, John? S-E-G-U-E. 
How Thank are you spelling you. Segway, Kurt? That's the only way you can spell it. And I just wish people would know that. Well, the actual transportation device, the Segway is not, not spelled that way. But you're not talking about that. In this case, by the way, the most ridiculous tourist trap tours ever come to Prague and do a Segway tour. I can't say I've ever done that. In any event, I'm going to take you to Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, for that matter, were founded by William Penn. Yes, Quaker. Pennsylvania. Now, of course, Pennsylvania means Penn's Woods in the original language. If you go to Philadelphia, you have Philadelphia City Hall in the middle of the city, and at the top is a statue of William Penn, yes. who we will call now Billy Penn. There was a gentleman's agreement for a long time that no building would be built in the city of Philadelphia that was taller than the top of the William Penn statue on top of City Hall. For a long time, Philadelphia's major sports teams were very successful in winning championships. However, the gentleman's agreement was finally broken in 1987 when they built something called One Liberty Place, a skyscraper not that far, a few blocks away from City Hall that was almost 400 feet taller. And at that point, bad stuff happened. A curse, perhaps, to Philadelphia sports teams. They lost in the Super Bowl. They lost in the NBA Finals. They lost in the Stanley Cup. Nothing good happened in Philadelphia. No championships happened in Philadelphia sports because of that. The curse was broken. In 2008, the Phillies won the World Series. And what broke the curse was it was about a year earlier, a statuette of William Penn atop City Hall was actually affixed to the final beam during the topping off of the new Comcast Center, making that William Penn statue higher than the City Hall and higher than One Liberty Center. And good things again happened for Philadelphia sports. John, may your chair produce a sound similar to a fart but only once, such that you cannot reproduce it to prove that it was just the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Ah. I'm taking on a lot of water here in this episode. Lots Ah. of jinxes coming my way. Water is a great segue. I'm going to talk to you about the curse of the Iceman. The Iceman cometh, Eugene O'Neill. And I'm not talking about that because that was a depressing damn play. Anyway, I don't like the Edmund Fitzgerald song. Also oh. quite depressing. Yes. What, what's with these people? So, well, I know why Eugene O'Neill was because he had a really tough childhood and he wrote all about it in some of his tough plays. But anyway, long day's journey into night. Oi, the vaults. So Curse of the Iceman. You'll remember this because it was ripped from the headlines in early 1991. And I'm sure you remember this because you were an adult then. In the Italian Alps, they found an Iceman called Wetzi or Otzi, O-E-T-Z-I. And this group, these, these guys dug him up and moved him. He was 53 centuries old. For oh. 53 centuries, Wetzi was happy in Italian Alps. He was pissed that he got moved. So he cursed all those involved that had moved him and dug him up. Guess what? Since then, seven of those people have died. Ooh. Don't be moving him, baby. Don't be moving him. Can I give you another curse while I'm on this? I think so, because that was a short curse, Kurt. Well, how about this? That was like a that was like a curset. (laughs) A croissant? No, a curset. The curse of Timur. Of who? 
not Pimon and Timba from uh, Timba and Pimon. Lion, Lion King. King. Curse of Timur. We should broadcast an episode from Pride Rock one day. I'd love to. I will hold you up in my arms outstretched to the heavens. And that can become our new logo for Smart Dribble. It'll be like the Titanic thing, but on top of Pride Rock. I bet you that there are many, many other scenes in movies that are just like Pride Rock and Titanic, and we should find them. So the Curse of Timur, you're going to love this one. He was a Turco-Mongol leader. Now, one say, of your favorites. Yeah, say 600 years ago, 500 years ago. He led the Timurid Empire. This was in Uzbekistan. They had a very day, good soccer team. Modern day Uzbekistan. You know who thought he was really cool? Because he was kind of ruthless, this guy's an emperor. And you know who thought he was really cool in, in the 20th century? Stalin. Stalin thought, this is a guy I could live up to. This is a guy I like. So he wanted to exhume him, which means to unbury him, open up his crypt, open up what's going on. If you were to hume somebody, does that mean you're burying them? Yeah. So this is to exhume him. Yes. And if you're Hume Cronin, you're in trading places as an actor. So anyway. He was married to Jessica Tandy, right? Yeah. So the curse of Timur. So he was exhumed. Stalin wanted to exhume this guy. So the locals in Uzbekistan said, no, no, no. There's a curse on this we've known about for hundreds of years. If you exhume him, if you take him up, it will unleash a curse that will strike in three days. Death. In three days. Guess what? They opened it. Stalin said, screw that. I want to do it anyway. Opened it. Guess what happened in three days after they opened it? The person who opened it died. No. The Nazis invaded Russia, resulting in 7.5 million deaths. Has history attributed that to the exhumation? So anyway, there you go. The curse of Timur resulted in 7.5 million deaths, Russian deaths, because of Stalin's arrogance and Stalin's not listening to the locals of Uzbekistan. You better listen to them. I have a confession to make. When you were talking earlier about King Tut, whenever someone says King Tut to me, you know what the first thing I think is? Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. And anyone in our generation will think that. Born in Arizona, moved to Babylonia, King Tut. Or maybe it's born in Babylonia, moved to Arizona. That's what it was. King Tut, Tut, Tut. So here we have one of the great discoveries in history, a genuine look into life a long, long time ago. And all we can think of is one wild and crazy guy. Do you know that that King Tut, so he, Steve Martin probably did that in 1977, 78. The King Tut, the reason why it was so big was he, it was the first like rock star event happening in the art world when it went on tour. It was like the Rolling Stones. I remember seeing that. Yeah. And it went to the Met in New York and it went to probably the Chicago Art Institute. It went to, it went all over the world in all the biggest, best museums there are. And it was like, he was the rock star at King Tut and everything became Egyptian. That's when the Bengals walk like an Egyptian. I remember that as well. I also think of the Bengals. It's, it's a powerful thing, association like that, isn't it? Like in my brain, There is literally a synaptic connection or some sort of mental groove between King Tut and Steve Martin and the Bengals. And I don't think I can disrupt or interrupt that pathway. Well, and then I go to the Bengals and I don't think about the Tiger. I think about the Cincinnati football team. 
I was in an elevator once in in Cincinnati with one of my sons and Chad Ocho Cinco walked into the elevator. I think his name at that point was still Chad Johnson. And I was actually thinking about the Icky Shuffle. Oh, man. Icky Woods and the Icky <laughs> Shuffle. So, Kurt, shall I tell you about a curse? Please. Have you ever been on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Yes, in my mind. Have you ever actually been on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Well, Roger Bannister in 1954 was the first one on it because he broke the four-minute mile. But I can't break the four-minute mile even driving. All right. I'm going to try one last time because we have a commitment to our listeners. Kurt, have you ever been on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine? No, sir. Well, consider yourself lucky because when you're on the cover of SI, there is a jinx that comes with it. Ah, not a curse, but a jinx. The Sports Illustrated cover jinx. Yes. So it seems that after you are featured on the cover, bad stuff happens to you. It's been happening for a long time, but I'll give you a few highlights. Please. 1984, the magazine's cover shows Pittsburgh Steeler linebacker Jack Lambert. And the the cover read, The Man of Steel. Next season, he injured his toe and had to retire. Ended his career being on SI's cover. Pete Rose was on the cover when he was was having his 44, what became his 44-game hitting streak. Soon as he was on it, streak ended. Wow. Tom Brady, 2008's on the cover. A week after he's on the cover, he tears his ACL and MCL and is out for the rest of the season. Jeez, this is a real thing. That is the SI cover jinx. So consider yourself lucky that both you survived past the age of 27 and you have not been on the cover of Sports Illustrated yet. And I didn't open up King Tut's tomb. You didn't have the opportunity to. So the question becomes, if you were the one who had one of those little famous archaeologist brushes, yeah, you get the sand out of the way, you see a warning sign before you open the door to an Egyptian pharaoh's tomb, you opening the door, my guess is you'd want to go in, but you'd have the guy next to you open the door. Yeah, and I'll go in afterwards. Why don't you think about that, Kurt? No reason to answer right now, because Kurt and I will be back next week with a brand new episode and perhaps an answer to this question. Until then, Kurt and I hope your week is filled with smart dribble. As always, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye, everyone. Ciao. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.